So we are looking for wisdom. I hope you are. Uh, it's a good and worthwhile endeavor. We need it, don't we? We need it in our lives. We need it in our families. We need it in our communities. We need it in our country. We need wisdom. And I think we sense that maybe now more than ever. I'm not sure. I do. I need wisdom. Well, the good news is that we are looking for wisdom in all the right places. We're looking at the Old Testament wisdom literature, and we're going through it book by book. Well, sort of. We're giving a, a high-level overview of the book, and my hope is that it'll give you encouragement to read the book for yourself, because sometimes these wisdom books are a little bit hard to access. We were talking about this at the discussion night, how some of the books are just really long, like Job. You get bogged down really easily reading Job, but a few little bits of motivation might keep you just plodding along through Job. And then we get to Psalms, and, and you, you tend to pick and choose the ones that you really like and avoid the ones that we don't understand, or the ones that are just way too long. A lot of times it just has to do with the length of the passage, right? And so we'll go to Psalm 117. It's nice and short. Psalm 119, we'll leave that for another week. And so Psalms is sometimes hard to uh, get into. Well, today we look at Proverbs. And again, Proverbs is a very interesting collection of sayings that is sometimes hard to read through. So I want to give you just a few things that might help us and encourage us to access the wisdom that we find in Proverbs. <clears throat> well, in 1971, anybody know what happened in 1971? Some of you remember it. Starbucks was born. I don't know if people groan or cheer because of that. People have been to the original Starbucks down at uh, Pike uh, Place. Where is it? Down in Seattle, right? Starbucks started, and it really changed the way that we think about coffee. I think Starbucks, what they did is they, they complicated things just enough to make it feel like we're in control, right? That's what Starbucks does. It, it used to be that you would ask for maybe cream and sugar in your coffee. But now, if you go to Starbucks, you can order a quad venti half-calf brevi no foam with whip skinny three-pump peppermint mocha. <laughs> Write that down. Order it today. It'll cost you $15.75. <laughs> it's, it's complicated things just enough to make us feel like we're making a lot of decisions all at once, right? If you order your Starbucks drink properly, you'll feel a sense of accomplishment because you will have made 20 decisions even before the day started. It's interesting how complicated life sometimes gets. But the reality is that we are making decisions all the time, all throughout the day, aren't we? Sometimes the decisions are very, very small, and we don't even realize that we're making them. Sometimes the decisions and the choices that we have, they weigh heavy on our hearts, right? Can anybody look back and think back to a simple decision that changed the course of their life? I can think of one right now, and I'm going to embarrass my wife by telling her or by telling all of you. Uh, when I came back from Scotland and from Bible college and I went to White Rock Baptist Church, I felt the church was too big. I didn't want to go to a big church. However, the very Sunday that I was considering leaving that church and going finding somewhere else, this girl came up to me and had the courage to talk with me. And I thought, hmm, she's kind of cute. Maybe I will stick around this church for a little bit longer. That decision, that decision changed the course of my entire life. 
How crazy is that, right? So I think we recognize that our decisions, our choices, they matter. The little ones and the very big ones that, we, that weigh heavy on our hearts. So the question is, how do we make wise decisions? There was an ad from Microsoft came out in 2017. It claimed that we make 35,000 decisions a day. It didn't provide a source for that research, so don't quote me on that, but the idea is we make a lot. How do we make wise decisions? Wise decisions in the little decisions and wise in the big choices that we have to make. Well, in 1 Kings chapter 3, we're introduced to a young King Solomon. And King Solomon is inheriting the throne from his father, David. And as he uh, prepares himself and prepares his heart to take on this very weighty responsibility, what does he do? He does the right thing. He prays. <laughs> and he asks God for something. Listen to what he says. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. That's the best thing that Solomon ever did. He asked for wisdom. Wisdom, and it's defined as this ability to discern between right and wrong, to distinguish between right and wrong. That's a big part of wisdom. That's what Solomon asked for. And because he asked for that, God says later on in that passage, because of that, you will experience prosperity as well. You made the right choice. Wisdom is the right choice. So when we come to Proverbs, Proverbs is written in the wisdom tradition of King Solomon. Even though there's lots of other contributors, especially later on in the, in the book, in the collection of sayings, Solomon is identified with this kind of wisdom material that we find in Proverbs. Chapters 1 through 9, it gives us a rather lengthy introduction into the nature of wisdom. So if you want to find out what wisdom is all about, go home today, read Proverbs 1 to 9. And during that time in, in or chapters 1 through 9, we see 10 speeches from a father to a son. It's a beautiful thing. It's more of a, a teaching mechanism. It's not uh, specifically just father to son, but it's this idea of passing on knowledge from one generation to the next. I think one of our, uh, part of our vision here at Bonavista Baptist is that we are truly an intergenerational worshiping and witnessing community. That's really important. And we need to constantly be intentional about that, strive toward that. That's why this morning we had day camp songs and we got to celebrate with all kinds of movement. And this morning we sang holy, 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 right? And we, we, we encourage one another throughout the generations. But this is what's happening in Proverbs, this idea of passing along wisdom from one generation to the next. And we see that in these 10 speeches from a father to a son. And the father to the son encourages the son, the child, to strive for virtue and integrity and generosity in life. That's the life of wisdom that he wants to encourage. And we see a phrase repeated in Proverbs that we've seen in Job, that we've seen in Psalms. What's the phrase? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom, right? It comes up again and again and again, that wisdom comes 
from fearing God and turning away from evil. The rest of the book after chapter 9 is this collection of sayings, and some of them are, are wonderful, some of them are bizarre, some of them are a little bit troubling if we take them personally, but they cover all kinds of things. They cover marriage and justice and speech and alcohol. If you want to know wisdom about alcohol, read Proverbs. It's there. Generosity and debt and money and work and sex and character and friendship. All of life is meant to be infiltrated, infused with the wisdom of God. Not just Sunday morning church, not just when we're thinking spiritual thoughts, but this idea of Proverbs is that all of life is meant to be infused with God's wisdom. And so in the end, in Proverbs, we have these practical skills for living well in God's world. Do you want to live well in God's world? I do. I want to live well here. I don't want to just just have a life. I want to live well. I want to live well with my family. I want to live well with you as, as this congregation. I want to live well with my neighbors. Proverbs helps us to live well in God's world. When my dad taught me to do some woodworking, uh, he taught me something really important. If you're sanding, and some of you will know this, right? When you're sanding wood, what are you supposed to do? Sand with the grain, right? Sand with the grain. And sometimes I'd get carried away and start sanding like crazy when I was a kid. And dad would be like, no, sand with the grain. Because if you sand against the grain, what happens? You kind of mess up the wood. You make it rough. Well, Proverbs and wisdom is kind of like living along the grain of God's created order. Going with the grain. That's the idea in Proverbs. If you do this, then life will be smoother for you. That's the idea of Proverbs. And you find that again and again. If you give yourself to work hard, this is what you can expect. If you live a life that is just, this is what you can expect. If you pay attention to the ant and you're not lazy, but you store up for winter, this is what you can expect. It's going along the grain of God's created order. And that's what we find in Proverbs. There's only one problem. Life doesn't always work out like that. Do you find that? This is the problem that sometimes we have with Proverbs. Sometimes we get the impression as we read a proverb, if you just do this, then life will be well. And it seems to be that simple. If, then. And so if we do these things, life will go smoothly. And prosperity gospel preachers love these passages in Proverbs. Because they say, well, you're not prosperous. Well, then you must not be following along with God's way. Right? And so what do we do with that? How do we read these sayings in a way that makes sense? Well, some people would suggest that when we read through Proverbs, that they're not so much hard and fast promises, but rather they're more like probabilities. You know, if you eat well, you're much more likely to be healthy, but not necessarily right? Because sometimes it doesn't work out that way. If you apply yourself to work hard, then you're much more likely to have a good life. But not necessarily, because it doesn't always work out that way. Well, that's one way maybe to read it. I think a better way to read it is within the context of all the wisdom literature. That's why we have Job. That's why we have Ecclesiastes. Job reminds us that even if you do everything right, even if we're sanding with the grain, that sometimes bad things happen to good people. 
It's just the reality check. Proverbs is, is kind of this, this new teacher who's excited and still very optimistic about all that a student is going to learn. But then we have Job that reminds us that life doesn't always work out that way. And we have Ecclesiastes that's a much more cynical kind of look at the world saying, even if you do everything right, it still feels like you're chasing after the wind. And so we read the whole of wisdom literature together to get a balanced view of the world and still hold on to some of these truths that we find in Proverbs. Well, Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6, these are iconic verses. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Eric McComish doesn't have this tattooed somewhere on his body. (laughs) Do you actually? Oh, you're missing out. Well, we know what we're doing after church. (laughs) Prison tattoos and pastor's office. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Anybody else memorize it? It's so fundamental. And I think it's fundamental to making good decisions. This is the fundamental truth that we need to hold on to if we're going to live well and make wise choices, wise decisions in the world. But before we get there and before we say a few things about this verse, I think there is actually four decision-making myths that we need to dispel quickly before we can get to it. Because I think as Christians, sometimes we worry far more than we should over making the right decision. I remember growing up, there was this kind of teaching that, that if you didn't decide the right way, that you could fall out of God's will. And what would it be like to be living outside of God's will? How terrible would that be? And there's this extra guilt and pressure And so we come to decision-making, and sometimes we're paralyzed. Paralyzed as individual believers in Christ, but also paralyzed as churches. What if we we make the wrong choice? What if we help this person but don't help that person, (laughs) right? And you can see the absurdity of it sometimes. But we, we get worried because we believe certain myths about decision. Here's myth number one. Myth number one is this. God's will is hard to find. I think it's a myth that certainly I grew up with. I grew up with this notion that that God had this perfect plan for my life, but he wasn't going to tell me. (laughs) That instead he was going to keep it locked away in a secret vault, and I had to find the path to the vault, uh, crack the code, get in, and then decipher the the, uh, blueprints for my life. And only if I managed to do that would I know what God's will was for my life. It felt like this secret thing that God was hiding from me. How absurd. God doesn't want that kind of secrecy. In fact, God's will is actually very plain, at least his revealed will to us. All throughout Scripture, we're told how to live. And I think if we pay attention to those things, we'll be doing well. We're told that to give thanks in all things. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To praise God in all things. This is God's will for us to forgive one another as God has forgiven us, to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is God's revealed will. He's not hiding it. I know sometimes we think of God's will as, well, we just want to know whether we should go uh, to this holiday resort or this one here. Maybe not that ridiculous, but you know what I mean? We we look at the minutia of our lives and we think that God is really going to direct every single step that way. And I'm not sure it is. I think he says, pay attention to what I've already told you to do. So God's will is not actually hard to find. Read the Bible with a friend 
and you'll discover it. Second myth, God wants us to know the future. I think sometimes when it comes to making decisions, we get so concerned about the future and implications for the future. And we think that decision-making in the will of God is like looking into a crystal ball and discerning what's going to happen in the future. And we get all worried about what direction we're going in in the future. And God does not want us to know the future. I think we'd be overwhelmed, for one thing, if we actually knew the future and knew what was coming down the road. Kevin DeYoung says this, Obsessing over the future is not how God wants us to live. Because showing us the future is not God's way. His way is to speak to us in the scriptures and transform us by the renewing of our minds. His way is not a crystal ball. His way is wisdom. His way is not a crystal ball. His way is wisdom. So it's not about knowing the future. Here's myth number three. We need to be 100% sure before we make a decision. You ever feel that? We need to be 100% sure. As a church, as a congregation, before we, we launch a new ministry, before we make a, a big decision, we have to be 100% sure. We need complete consensus from, from everyone involved. And that's not always the case. You don't see that in Scripture as we're going through. We don't have to be 100% sure. We have to 100% trust in God. That's for sure. But we don't have to be 100% sure. But here's myth number four that I think is the most important thing when it comes to to breaking through and making godly decisions. Myth number four is this. God's greatest goal is my happiness. It's a myth. But we reinforce it in so many different ways. I mean, if someone, one of our children, or somebody does something that we don't entirely agree with, sometimes we'll just say, well, as long as you're happy, right? <laughs> or sometimes we'll say, are you happy now? <laughs> I've heard that a few times, but, you know, so we reinforce this idea that happiness is the great goal of life. God's greatest desire for you is not your happiness, but your holiness. God's greatest desire for us is not our happiness, but our holiness. And holiness isn't this great burden, this, this awful thing. Holiness is being set apart for God's good purposes, and God's good purposes are exciting and life-giving and will keep us going day by day. Holiness is about becoming more like Jesus, being made, remade into the image of his son. God's desire for us is not our happiness, but our holiness. And I think when we keep that in mind, our idea of decision-making and discerning God's will will be different. And that's why the Bible is concerned with the moral decisions that we make, it teaches us the way of holiness. It's not that God doesn't care about whether you take this job or that job, or whether you marry this person or that person. There are factors in decision-making that are important. But God's greatest concern in all of your decisions, in all of my decisions, is holiness. Is holiness. And not just our happiness. So when we come to Proverbs 3, what we realize when it comes to all the decisions that we are called upon to make throughout the day, 35,000 according to Microsoft, and I mean Bill Gates, he's always right, so 35,000 in a day, but out of all those decisions, there's actually only one that we really need to make according to Proverbs chapter 3. There's just two options, either lean on ourselves or lean on God. That's the one decision. Do we lean on ourselves 
Do we trust the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do we love him? Do we trust him? Do we lean on him? Or do we lean on ourselves? We can lean on ourselves or we can lean on God, but we cannot do both. And that's what Proverbs 3 is saying. In the face of making all the other decisions in life, make this one first. Choose to trust God and not just trust yourself and not trust yourself in those things. So there's really three key words as we work through this passage, and I'll just mention them quickly. The first word is trust. And in Hebrew, the idea of trust is to put your whole weight on. So imagine at night you're going to bed and you lay completely on the bed. You generally don't put one foot on the floor because there's monsters under the bed, right? I can't hang my foot over the bed. Maybe you can, you're braver than me. But generally, when we're in bed, we're putting our whole weight upon the bed. That's the word for trust. So we have a decision to make. Either we put our whole weight on our own understanding or we put our whole weight on God. We trust him. We trust him in the in face of decisions. There's a second word that's really important in this passage, and it's the word all. And in Hebrew, it's the same word used to describe what you do with a sacrifice in the temple. You burn it all. The whole sacrifice is consumed. We're to trust God with all of our life. There's an old pastor joke that I have to tell. I think it's just in honor of my father-in-law who told a lot of these, and they're great. So here's one of them. It's about a chicken and a pig, of course, right? It's pastor humor. So a chicken and pig were going down the road one day, and they noticed the church was advertising that it was having a breakfast. Bacon and eggs, this Sunday, volunteers needed. And the chicken said to the pig, well, we should totally do that. It's right up our alley. And the pig said what? The pig said, that's easy for you because you just make a contribution. I have to give my whole life, right? God isn't just looking for us to make a contribution. God isn't just looking for us to to give a portion of our life, a portion of our time. He's looking for all of us, for the whole of us. That's the word all here, is that all. We have to trust God with all our life with our work, with our family, with our church life, with our community life, with our holiday life, with our our investment life, with whatever it is, there needs to be this factor of trust within our life, all. Then the third word that's really, really important in this passage is the word path. And this comes up again and again all throughout Scripture. There are two paths to choose. Adam and Eve saw it in the garden. We see it when when, uh, God comes through Moses and other leaders to Israel choose this day. We see it when Jesus comes and says there's a narrow path and there's a broad path. Path is very important. So what's the promise here? When we trust God from the bottom of our heart, we don't try to figure out everything on our own. When we listen for God's voice and everything we do, what does he promise? That he'll set us on the right path. Now be careful with this. It doesn't mean that he's going to make every decision super clear. It doesn't mean that he's going to make the way super easy for us to go. It does mean that he will keep us on the right path. What is that path? The path of righteousness. He will keep us on the path of holiness. He will keep our feet moving in the right direction in this world. He will help us to maintain our integrity and our generosity and all that applies to holiness in our lives. That's the promise, that he will keep us on track in whatever decision we have to make. 
We have lots of decisions, don't we? Lots of choices to make. Should I make this career move or that career move, right? Which school should I pick for my child? Should we have more kids? We've already answered that question. The answer is no, God told us. Should I marry Bill or Ted? Why did I write that down here? Bill or Ted had just no chance when I met Christine. So, but we, we asked those questions. Should we marry these different people? What church should I attend, perhaps? What treatment plan should I follow? What investment should I consider? Should I cut my hair short or keep it long? Obviously, I borrowed this list from someone else. We have these decisions, and it's not to minimize them. It's not to, to trivialize them. They're important. But of primary importance is to make this first decision. Do you trust God or not? And do you trust God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? I think we complicate life, just like Starbucks. We complicate life just enough to make us think that we are in control, that we actually have control over our destiny and our future. And so we pour these decisions sometimes upon us. But here's the encouragement today. Trust God, and he will keep you on track. Trust God, and he will keep you on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Wisdom in our decisions is the exact same as wisdom in our suffering and wisdom in our worship. It has to do with the fear of the Lord. It has to do with this reverent respect for God that's coupled with love and confidence. And when we have that, we can make decisions with confidence in our world. So the verse in Proverbs chapter 3 says this, Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and stay away from evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom even in our decisions. Let's pray together. Father, we admit that there are days where we are overwhelmed with decisions and choices that we have to make. And sometimes it just doesn't seem clear to us. And yet, Father, we know that as long as we're not contemplating evil or contemplating choosing sin, that in the end we have the assurance from you that you will direct our paths, that you will keep us on the path of righteousness. Father, we want to live well in your world. Help us to do that as we trust you with the entirety of the life that you've given us. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.